So uh, I don't know if this is something you like to do, but one of the personal disciplines I have in my life is I really try to read through the Bible in a year. And I know several of you that do this. I've talked to you before. And it's unescapable, right? Like this happens the first day of that study. Like every year I start to read the Bible and it happens this way every time. Matthew 1 and maybe by the next day, Genesis 5, you're going to come across the same thing. You're going to come across this section of Scripture where such and such begot such and such begot such and such begot such and such. You all know what I'm talking about, right? And the tendency for some of us, and including me, is to kind of read that and to kind of go into this glazed brain kind of thought process, right? Of, okay, I, know, I don't even know this guy's name. I don't know how to pronounce this guy. And this is just something we do. In fact, the first words of the New Testament, the first words of the New Testament is this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. Like, it starts, the whole New Testament story, all that Jesus is about to go do, it starts with those words. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. You could actually change the word genealogy to the word family tree, because that's what we're talking about, right? The book of the family tree of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, and I want to talk about this again this morning, that you have a family tree. Every one of us in this room has a family tree. You have a family tree. I have a family tree. And here's what else we know to be true about our family trees. Your family tree is powerful. It's powerful. DNA is powerful. In fact, if you want to get a good look about what you're going to look like, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, look no further than the family photo album because that's what we got going for us. And not only do we have that going for us physically, but for a lot of us, we recognize that the dysfunction that was in, that's in our family tree seems to trickle down generation to generation, that the sin of one generation has this tendency to trickle down into our generations as well. Your family tree is powerful. And for some of us, that's a hard thing to hear. Because a lot of us in this room are adult children of someone, right? And we recognize and we remember the family tree that came before us and the dysfunction and the pain and the suffering and the sin that's back there and how it has affected us, even as adults. Your family tree is powerful. But here's the, here's the third point, and this was something we said a few weeks ago. Your family tree can change. Your family tree can change by God's redeeming grace. That there's another story, or excuse me, there's another tree in our story today. And it's not just our family tree it's Calvary's tree. And that the cross has the power to intersect our story and our lives and ultimately change and reestablish and redeem and heal the family tree that came before us. Amen? Amen. All right, we should be amen in that because that's what God's done in our lives, right? That he has changed. He has the power to change 
our family tree through his redeeming grace. But here's the other thing. Your family tree not only changes by his redeeming grace, it also changes by our relentless obedience. That God commands us, he expects out of us obedience that gets our family to a place of health and gets our tree to a place of health. And for a lot of us in here, this is kind of the misstep for some of us, right? That we understand God's grace, we understand his redemption in our lives, but we don't freely receive it because we're not really obeying him and how we go about changing our family tree. That, God, that our family tree changes by God's redemptive grace and by our relentless obedience. And a few weeks ago, we talked about in the context of worship, we talked about this idea of family worship, that God's design for our family tree, for our family, God's design is that we would make him the intentional center and his word, the intentional, intentional center of our family. That's what family worship is. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. And hopefully, man, hopefully God has used that in your life. Whether you're a grandparent in the room, a parent or a child, hopefully God is moving you into a place where you are intentional about making Jesus and his word the center of your home. So we know this is a big part. Like, how do we connect to Jesus? But here's the question I want us to think about today. Not only how do we connect to Jesus... But how do we as a family connect to each other? How do we connect to each other? I heard this quote the other day, and I love it. It says this, Most parents can't give their children a lavish inheritance, but every parent will leave a personal legacy. Most parents can't give their children a lavish inheritance with lots of money, but every parent is going to leave a personal legacy. They are going to leave their family tree to that child. And the question is, what is it going to look like? And the way this tree is going to grow, the way it's going to grow to bring health into your life and into your children's life is these, uh, is, surrounds these two questions. How does our family connect to Jesus? And how do we as a family connect to one another? Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now this is a proverb, right? It's, it's a general saying, saying, hey, if you do this, odds are this is how this is going to work out for your family. And for some of us, we know that parenting, there are no guarantees in parenting, right? You could do everything right, right? You could do everything right as a parent, you could raise them right, you could love them right, and at the end of the day, your kid could still rebel against you, rebel against God, walk away from the faith. That's, that's definitely true. But what's true about Proverbs 22, 6 is when we choose to, as a, as a parent, discipline our child and connect with them on an intentional level, when we choose to do that, man, that chance of them rebelling and walking away drastically drops. But it's not a magic formula. It's not a magic formula, but here's the truth. It's a command that God gives us, a command to connect as a family. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 this is where we're going to be spending 
uh, our morning together in Ephesians chapter 6. If you look at 5 and 6, you'll see that there is a lot of good stuff there about how to connect as a family, like husband and wife, how they're to connect with one another, uh, and then father uh, or parents and children. But what I want to focus on this morning is this one little spot, this one little section in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at with me here in Ephesians 6, starting with verse 1. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, again, there's a lot here. We could spend uh, like three messages just on these four verses, but I want to just pull out one simple truth this morning that we see right here in this passage. And this is going to kind of set the stage for our morning together. That connecting as a family, connecting as a family requires rules and it requires relationship. Connecting as a family requires rules and it requires relationship. And you can't do a good job of connecting without both of them together. So how do rules and relationships play in, play into connecting as a family, training up as a family? You know, this morning, I know we're kind of focusing more on the parent-to-child relationship. And I recognize in the room, some of you guys are grown and you've got your kids out of your house. They've been out of your house for a long time. Maybe you're a grandparent or even a great-grandparent. But I believe God has something to say to us this morning in regards to this. Maybe you're a child in the room, not a little child, but you're like a, a grown child, but you don't have a family tree of your own yet. You're, you're still under your mom and dad. Maybe you're a college student or a high school student in here. I still believe that God has something to say to you this morning. And so we're talking about this this morning. How do we connect intentionally with our family? And to do that, I really wanted to invite other couples into this process with us, just like we did a few weeks ago. So we're going to have them come up, but before they do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that this prayer is not just a transition to get a bunch of people on stage. God, we are asking you to be a part of our conversation this morning. God, we want to meet with you right here and now in this moment, Lord, and I pray, God, that everything that's said from this stage would be from you, Father. And, Lord, that you would use it to impact our lives, to motivate us to intentionally connect in our family. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter whether we find ourselves a child, an 18-year-old, a 14-year-old, or whether we find ourselves the greatest great-parent in the room, grandparent in the room. God, I pray, Lord, that we would connect and that we would see how we can intentionally connect into our family, Lord for your glory, and train up our children in a way that honors you. Lord, we thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad to be with you here. And Jonathan just asked if I would go ahead and introduce some of the faces here on stage. Um, I'm going to start over here um, to my left. This is Ben and Megan Fuller. And I think their picture is going to come up here on the screen, just showing a little bit more of their family. But just to give you a little bit of information um, about them, they're both educators. 
Ben is actually the vice um, chair of the deacons, and they both are connect leaders in the church with the warehouse and other um, marriage ministries. They have two children, Gavin's the oldest and Gracie. I'm sure you've seen them around the kids' ministry as well, but um, we're glad to have them as well here with us today to share. And then over here on my right, um, I'm not sure these are uh, a newer couple, but I have to say that um, one of them here is my sister. Um, this is Charity and Matt Johnson, and they have joined us within the last year to our church family. And as a sister, I'm very thankful that um, to finally have a sibling um, as another sister as well, but have her here um, with us. And um, Matt is in sales and marketing. Charity is also an educator. They have four children, um, as you can see in their picture here, Madison's the oldest, then Michaela, then Micah, and Mackenzie. And so just wanted to give you guys a little backdrop um, of their family, just a brief little moment to tell you about them. But as Jonathan was talking about family trees, and we talked about a few months ago, or a few weeks ago, excuse me, family trees, I wanted to give um, each of the couples an opportunity to share about their unique family tree with you guys as they're here this morning. So I'm going to actually let Matt and Charity start um, first. Yeah, um, I would say that um, I grew up in a strong Christian family, um, have great parents, um, really set a strong foundation for me growing up, um, really set around our core family values, uh, faith, um, health, work ethic, and service. And really a lot of the things that we did all revolved around that. I think um, some of the things and legacies that they've left have really just um, been things that I've carried on, sometimes to a very unhealthy level. Um, and um, as we grew up, we had family bedtime stories, with uh, Bible stories, we had family dinners, we had a lot of great uh, things that were set up around the table, and things that they tried to implement and correct that they, you know, the legacy that they were left um, wasn't healthy. And um, we had a really strong family growing up. My dad was an extreme um, workaholic. Um, we got to see him at family, but he would leave for meetings at night. But he still uh, was very, very much present until by the time I was about 13, 14, he had a stroke that uh, basically almost killed him. And um, at that point in time, you know, you're, you're faced with a life situation like, okay, I've got to grow up really fast. And uh, I've got to get a job. I've got to start being able to provide for the family. How are we going to survive? My dad had his own, um, uh, his own business, so that was our sole source of income. So it really just changed a lot of dynamics. And so a lot of those things transitioned and changed, and you have to think about life in a lot different uh, perspective. And so I've really just kind of poured in to work since then is this is going to be you know, how I protect myself, how I protect my family. And work has really been an opportunity for me to um, obviously advance, but also spend a lot of time and energy. Um, and fortunately, God had healed him. If you would meet him today, hopefully sometime you will, he, um, you would never know that he had a stroke that basically kill, almost killed him. And so we had a really good um, uh, foundation to that point and, um, you know, just really kind of interrupted that family tree. And, um, but, you know, definitely a, a good foundation to, to where, um, to get me started. I'm Charity. And as Crystal mentioned, um, our family trees are connected. Um, our family tree, or mine, grew when she was born because I'm her older sister. And um, so our family, uh, we're, I'm the oldest of five, so more came. And our family was really close despite some large age gaps there. And um, our family moved around the time I was five, which I would say was pretty much a strategic plan or a big shift um, in the way that I grew up. 
um, my parents uh, moved up Northern California to be part of a church that was growing and that they kind of came alongside that. And um, so I would say for, for me growing up, I knew that my parents loved God and I knew that they loved me. Those were not things that I questioned. Um, but some messages within our church tradition and also from a parts of our family that I kind of inherited, inherited, kind of internalized really early on was this idea of just performance and perfectionism and that there was achievement connected to my value or my worth and that those things were things I had to strive really hard for. Um, and I did. And I um, took me to some unhealthy places and some real depths of knowledge of God's grace and some learning um, coming alongside some really, I'd say, key mentors for me in college especially, um, and in my relationship with both my parents, uh, specifically my mom, and just that understanding of grace and um, that God's you know, love for me is unconditional, has nothing to do with what I accomplish or what I can do at all. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Ben and Megan. Okay, well, um, very quickly, my I grew up in a family of believers. My parents um, raised us in a Christian home. They are still married. They've been married for 56 years. And so, um, you know, we had basically your typical Christian family. We were in church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, um, Wednesday nights. We were very involved in the church um, as well as, um, you know, we had supper together each night. Now, my dad did work late, so oftentimes he was not there in the on the weeknights for supper. But, you know, my mom and my sister and I did. Um, we would have family devotions. And um, my parents also um, were very big and um, having a relationship with us. And one thing that they did was they opened our home to our friends. And so, in the end, our house became sort of the place where um, our friends would come and hang out. And that opened up a relationship for um, my parents to also get to know our friends so well. And so, in the end, they were sort of the parents to um, a bunch of a bunch of us at times, and um, it just gave us the opportunity to be close as a family. Um, my parents were um, strict on the rules. You know, we had rules that were very strict and expected to follow, and um, for the most part, we did. Uh, my sister was older, so I learned from her, um, you know, the things to do and not to do, but that's pretty much the way our family, um, that my parents raised our family, and they did leave a a lifelong legacy of the Christian faith. Uh, when I was growing up, my uh, mom is a believer. Uh, we She took us to church through elementary school, and then that kind of faded out. She was an eight-to-five worker. Uh, she would come home every day after work, and she would be the cook of the house, and, and then that was basically all you saw of mom. You know, she was just maybe tending to the house, and on the weekends, you know, we'd clean, and maybe she'd, you know, we'd jump in on that. Uh, dad was retired from the Navy. He had a heart condition and was like medically discharged from the Navy. But dad was also an alcoholic until I was about somewhere between second and fourth grade. Uh, mom had given him an ultimatum at some point in time there and there. I can't remember exactly when. And then he had stopped. But that was that was pretty much we weren't we weren't uh, we were told not to be around dad. Uh, we were going to make him mad. Don't make dad mad during this early part of time. And so that's kind of how we grew up until that point. Well, in third grade, I started playing football. And uh, this is really pretty much how me and my dad connected through that sport. Uh, you know, he, would, uh, he enjoyed me playing the game, and I enjoyed performing for him for that game. And that was really our tighter connection. He wasn't a bad dad. It was just that was it. You know, I was into other things, but we really never got there. You know, it was always about the sport and it was about football. And um, so 
that mentality or that that kind of took us all the way through junior high and then into high school and uh, then my playing career ended after uh, in college uh, in the fall of 99 and then he passed away in August of 2000 so that was kind of the the end to that was that was the only relationship we had and then that kind of there was no after that so uh, that was kind of how our family uh, went through in that point in time and it's something, we, we started each week with this question, or the last time we started with this question, and the reason for it is, I want us to kind of just see and, and recognize where we are in the room, right? Like, you have six different people on stage with uh, six or maybe five with you two together, uh, but you have different stories, right? That every one of us in this room has a different story, a different upbringing, and a different way in which we related to our family, Right? And we could have the best meaning parents, right? We, we could have the godliest parent and the best meaning or best intention parent and still unintentionally fall into seasons or even a, 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 whole, a whole parenthood season of, of kind of missing it when it comes to connecting with our kids. I know some of you have heard some of my dad's testimony before of there was a, a couple years in our relationship, right? Actually, right when he became the senior pastor of this church, where he was kind of emotionally MIA from my life. And, uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to get us to see is that for a lot of us, we've experienced either, either a season of this or maybe a, a, a decades of this in our, in our childhood. But the question goes is, okay, if this is in our past, how do we change our past? How do we change our family tree? How do we connect as a family and so whether our family health was great, whether our family tree is awesome and we're just building on what our parents and grandparents did before us, or whether we're generation breakers and we're having to start from scratch, regardless of where we find ourselves, how do we bring in boundaries and rules and have a strong relationship with our kids that will point them to Jesus? So look at Ephesians 6. I want us to read this together again. In verse 1 it says, Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What are these verses focusing on? They're focusing on rules, right? Commandments, like this idea of authority structure between a parent and a child. And you might have heard this statement before, but I think it's a great statement for us to think about today. That relationship without rules equals resentment. Relationship without rules as a parent is going to equal resentment. And we are living in an age, probably more so now than ever, where boundaries and rules in the parenting relationship are ultimately going by the wayside. And I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but there are literally families right here in our county that are letting their child decide each day what gender they want to be, right? This is the, the, just the absence of rules. And, and really, even back when I was a teenager, there were still parents that were kind of like this. Maybe you're a parent like this, a parent that there are no boundaries. There are no rules. Everything's just kind of cool. You, you can stay out as late as you want. I don't really care if you're texting at 3 in the morning. That, that's, that's your business, kid. Or, or maybe I've even heard parents that are buying their kid before they're, they're able, before they're 21, they're buying their kids alcohol, right? Like these are, these are the permissive 
parents that are just letting their kids kind of do what they want to do. And really, those parents are the same parents that are kind of covering up their mistakes. They're not really addressing the issues in their child's life. And, and here's the thing. No child's ever going to say, Mom, Dad, you're just giving me too much freedom, right? No, no kid's going to say that. But here's the thing, somewhere down the line in that child's life, especially when they get into adulthood, there comes this realization or this thought of, hey, if you love me so much, why didn't you put some boundaries in my life? That for some of these parents, the product that they're making, the product of no rules with mom and dad swooping in and bailing you out and popping you, or excuse me, propping you up all the time in this lifetime, it leads to an adult sitting at the end of an aisle about to say I do or leads to an 18-year-old walking the stage, shaking the hand, getting their diploma. It leads to that adult not having a clue about responsibility because that parent never said no. That it's important for us to know that rules, relationship without rules equals resentment. Children thrive in boundaries and rules. They want to know what's out of bounds. So I want us to talk about this for just a second, uh, couples, for just a minute. When it comes to connecting, how do rules play out uh, into that intentionality? Ben, why don't you share with us a little bit about your family? Well, I think overall, we have like an overall rule in our house that uh, I am not your friend, I'm your daddy. And she is your mom. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to do something just for you to like me. I'm not going to find my validation in, oh, are, are, are you okay with that? Or is that okay with you? I'm not going to sit there and seek that out. I'm not going to try to tell jokes. I'm not going to try to pose and be someone that is not a father first. So that is, that is the no overarching thing that, that I'm not your friend. I am your daddy. And I'm going to, every decision I make is from that point. So I want to make sure that you know that. And if you don't like it, that's okay. We're, I'm going to love you as a father loves you, but I'm going, we're going to start here. And, that, and every decision from this point is coming from this place. Yeah. Charity, Matt, what about you guys? How do, how do rules, uh, when it comes to connecting, how do rules play into that intentionality as a family? Well, I don't know. For those of you guys that have young kids, I'm sure the dinner table can be one of those places where, um, rules and conversation can be a struggle. Um, we have four, four kiddos that are getting a little older, but this happened a couple years back where we just felt like the dinner table, we were trying so hard. We wanted to connect as a family. Um, Matt was often traveling, so we were working to get everything set so we could be together during that time. Um, and <laughs> everyone's talking all at the same time. Um, there, there seems to be no rules of conversation. And um, so early on, Matt kind of actually really instituted this, partly because he struggles to hear a little bit. He has some, <laughs> some issues with some, I think, some loud bass pumping in his past, maybe in, in a vehicle that maybe he, a Bronco in his high school years, I don't know. But um, he was getting so frustrated. Like, I, I literally can't hear. Um, and so for us, something that we just started early on when they were little was we have a conversation early on. When someone else is talking, you need to be respectful. Let them have a turn. And then it's your turn, but it's our turn to wait. So helping them kind of learn that, that a little bit of just 
waiting on someone else, as well as giving everyone a chance to speak, giving everyone a chance to talk. So um, when all of ours were little and two of them may have been in high chairs, we try to just start with that. And maybe some of you guys are at that, or maybe your grandkids come over and it's mass chaos, um, and you want to institute that too. But this just idea that there's a conversation of one, um, everybody gets a turn to talk. We all have a turn. We all have something to share. Yeah, I think um, it, it, we've kind of just put some table stakes in the ground on things that we are going to be very regimented about. And some of those are uh, how they wake up, how they go to bed, uh, our dinner time. Like these are things that we're going to set as far as these are where we're going to spend an intentional amount of time. Um, but to do that, we've, we've really got to handle the electronics. And um, we've had some things in our life that we've lived in now three different states, or Charity's lived in four, but we live in three different states with our kids. And um, cultures in the areas that you live all impact and, and change and dynamics of a neighborhood can be both good and bad. And so uh, one of the things just, you know, the early on, I remember Michaela, our two-year-old, when she was two, she was just uh, a savant, if you will, on the iPad. And everything was sensory. Um, and we're like, man, she's going to be a, man, she's going to do something amazing <laughs> within electronics. I don't know what she's going to do. She would even go touch the TV and like try to get the TV to do stuff. <laughs> and um, we thought we were raising like this really, you know, 21st century uh, minded kid. But the damage that screens pose for child development, for our own brain development, we really had to put rules in place on what that was going to look like. And so for screen usage, we don't allow screens in their bedroom. We don't allow TV during the week. Um, we have really uh, set a stage around screen usage and set these rhythms of this is okay, this isn't okay, this is when we're going to connect, this is when you're going to have time to play. And being very intentional about those times has really helped um, give us boundaries on when the kids need to be present as well as for us to show up um, and times for, you know, to, to, to take a break. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you guys figured this out, and I know y'all probably know this. Doesn't it always feel like you're, like, and especially your, your kids will let you know this, like you're the extreme parent. Like the minute you have a rule or the minute you have a boundary that you put in place, what's the number one thing you hear the kids say? Well, Joe down the street gets to do it, right? Like, Joe gets this. Joe doesn't, you know, Joe doesn't have to deal with this. And the thing is, if your name's Joe, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pick on you. Um, I know there's a Joe back here somewhere. Joe Green's in here somewhere. But, you know, for a lot of us, that's really, that's kind of what, what, what it feels like, right? It feels like um, anytime we try to establish a boundary or a rule in our family, it seems like we're feeling that attack whether it's from the kid or whether it's from ourselves or maybe even other parents, right? Like, no, no TV during the week. Like, there's other parents, if they hear you say that, they might be like, well, I don't, I don't do that. And you feel that awkwardness between your family and another family that does it a different way, right? Um, even what you were saying about being a, a friend versus a dad, you know? I, I know so many parents that there seems like their number one goal is just to be a friend to their kid. And and there's something, a higher calling that he's called us to, right? right. So, so how do you protect this? You've got these rules. You have these boundaries in your family. How do you protect the intentionality that you're trying to establish as you, uh, as you connect? Megan, talk about this a little bit. 
Well, one of the things that we do is we really protect our schedule, like our family schedule. And so we have created a Google Calendar um, just for our family, and we pretty much put everything on there that we have planned, um, generally just everything, but, um, you know, appointments, things like that. But one of the main things that we do is we intentionally put the things that we are going to do as a family on there. And so that way those things are the priority of our calendar. And that way things do not interfere with that. And that could be things that are specifically directed to our family of four or maybe it's something that we're doing with another family for a weekend that we scheduled out. But we don't let anything then take precedence over the things that we have planned to do together. Mm. And, um, and that's hard sometimes because different opportunities and different things come up. But we've made it a point that um, sort of like once it's on the calendar, that's, we stick to that. And one example of that would be this past um, Labor Day, for the past like seven or eight years, we have um, gone out of town for Labor Day weekend. And um, so this past Labor Day, we were not, we had no plans. And so in July, we, I mean, we planned far out. So in July, we said, um, you know, let's plan to just stay home. This Labor Day weekend in September, let's have the three-day weekend, be at home, just our family, um, get some things done around the house, have a good time together, um, playing, hanging out, relaxing. And I mean, wouldn't you know it, every opportunity came up for that weekend. I mean, we were invited to different things that we normally wouldn't be invited to or someone had asked us to do something. And probably the biggest of them all was Ben was asked to go to the, um, if you're a football, college football fan, um, to the Georgia Clemson game that was in Charlotte. And um, a friend of his had four tickets and he could go for free and do the whole day. And I mean, what a treat for him, you know? And, um, and he said, no, he didn't go. Um, and that's because we had decided um, early on that that was going to be our weekend as a family. And for him to have gone to that would have taken, would have been the whole day. Um, and so we've realized that it takes a lot of discipline on our end to be intentional with our planning with our kids. Um, it takes a lot of discipline for us to be intentional with what we do with our children and to make that time, specifically make that time and plan it out. And um, one thing we've also realized is once we do take something away, for example, the TV throughout the week, um, you know, if we take the TV away throughout the week from the kids and we try to keep them off of the electronics throughout the week, there's a void there. There's a time period there in the evenings that has to be filled with something. I mean, you know, you can only do so much homework, and then the showers can only take so long, and you've had supper, and then you have an hour, two hours, depending on the night, and so we've learned that we have to be intentional, and, you know, sometimes we can say to the kids, y'all need to go play. You need to go play by yourself um, or play with each other, but oftentimes it's we have to be intentional in um, setting up, okay, we're going to play games tonight. Today is game, tonight is game night or we're working a puzzle, or we go play basketball outside and play um, games with each other like that, go for bike rides, um, just different things along those lines. But we have to, if we're going to um, put those rules in place, we have to fill those, those voids, those empty times with um, things for our family to do. And so that's one thing that we've tried to do. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Charity, what about you? How, how, do you uh, how do you protect these boundaries that you guys have established? 
Well, kind of piggybacking a little bit on both of what you guys were saying, um, I know for some of you to hear like the TV being removed completely can sound a little bit um, extreme. It sounded a little crazy. And for us, that really was a proactive decision. It was an intentional decision. And it happened kind of comically, actually. We lived in California uh, where there were 361 and a half days of sunshine every year. And we were moving to the great Pacific Northwest where it rains a lot. And uh, we were moving outside Portland. This was a move for our family that we made intentionally to alleviate travel for Matt. Um, however, uh, our mode operandus, I guess, if you will, living in California was if it's like cloudy and rainy, and for us that's cold, it's not gonna be warm or humid, um, but it was like this cold, drizzly day. We were gonna watch TV and drink hot chocolate and eat popcorn and maybe put M&Ms in it. It was gonna be this experience, if you will. And as we were anticipating this move, this was something that was kind of on my heart that was practical as well as um, I knew I was gonna have to approach Matt, who uh, loved sports specifically and movies. And so we were like, how do we make this transition successfully? And I just had it on my heart that we should just give up our TV. And I didn't even know how to say that out loud to Matt. Like, what should we do? We, we owned a nice TV. It had actually been a gift that I got him when he finished um, his master's. And I was like, uh, what should we do about this? And so what it actually came down to was we put it in the closet. So. <laughs> We moved to Oregon and I just wanted our kids to still go outside and I knew that this was going to be different for them. So we did. We literally put it in the closet. We found this big closet at the downstairs and we shoved it inside all week long. And our like, um, what would you say? Our compromise, thank you, was that on Friday nights, um, something that Matt looked forward to that our kids now still look forward to is that we would take it out and we would have a family movie night. And so we would take the TV out and prop it up on random pieces of furniture at the time until we figured this out. And we would have a family movie night and then we would drag it and put it back away. Yes, it was a pain. Um, yes, I know it sounds comical, but for us in that season, it was a really intentional choice that we were saying, you know what, for one, this is gonna be hard. Like our kids are not used to walking to school in the rain, doing anything in the rain. You could just, you know, put off shopping. The sports games would be canceled. This was just different for us from a cultural standpoint. Um, but it allowed our kids a gift that we were not intending. Um, we have a TV in our house now. Actually, when my sister just gave us one. Um, and so <laughs> we, <laughs> not this sister, our other sister. So we actually have it up. It's in our house. We are not like against TV or electronics, but trying to put them in a proper place where they weren't just a go-to, this thing that we did without thinking, if you will. Um, and it turned into a gift for our kids that if our kids were outside playing and it was raining, like the other neighbor kids started showing up and Matt put down some stuff in our garage so that they could come in and they could all play in the garage out of the rain if they wanted. And it actually surprisingly surprised us. This was not intentional in what it produced, but it produced this idea for us that we never turned it on by accident. It was never like this, oh, we need to kill some time. Like we did have to fill this void. Um, we did start playing our son as a master of Connect Four. Um, we started playing these other games, but it really just kind of forced the issue where maybe we were, I was afraid we were just gonna be too lazy and we were gonna roll out of winter having eaten so much popcorn and drink so much hot chocolate um, through this like seasonal change, if you will. So for us, it was like a proactive decision as well as kind of forcing us, if you will, to be intentional with a cultural change, a move. Um, and so that's kind of how that came about. <laughs> well, we're gonna um, kind of move on to another 
portion because we know that there's more than just rules. So this next portion, I'm going to um, have us start back up in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Uh, I'll read it here. It's, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I have enjoyed using this at times on Jonathan. <laughs> I think I have specifically said don't provoke, and my, <laughs> my um, idea behind that was to bring this verse in. And um, it was kind of comical, though, as I was reading a little bit about this verse, that this verse is actually not just meant for the fathers. This um, terminology used here was actually for both mother and father. Um, and so it was a little bit convicting because so don't provoke. <laughs> yeah, because I, I'm sure hopefully I'm not the only one that feels like I've provoked their children to anger here. But um, it was also interesting reading that um, when Paul wrote this, it was um, kind of like a very um, odd thing for him to even be bringing up. They said in this time, you know, the families were really in shambles and there wasn't really a lot of structure. And for a father to have a, even have a love that was visible for their, his children was um, not something that they could even fathom in a lot of families. And so this whole verse was um, was just kind of um, counterculture for them in this time especially. But um, as we go into this verse, we're kind of going into a new um, side of here, and this is about relationships. So this next point is that rules without the relationship equals rebellion. And um, we kind of have talked a little bit about this here, um, just as we've been sharing, you know, just I know we're talking about that idea of achievement, using love as like a tool for either reward or punishment, like I'll love you if you do this, or when you do this, all of you, but in case you do this, you know, just like that our, feels like it has conditions on it. And, um, and that's not, I know, what we want our children to feel from us uh, about our love, and, um, and also, um, you know, we, we feel that it's based on behavior, you know, like the achievement they talked about a little bit, you know, to, if I achieve this, you know, the sports, it may be feeling like we're living through our children, you know, in, in, in a, our own way. Um, so uh, really saying that there's more to it than that. And um, realizing that as our children see this from us, like, they may be coming at a place like, am I ever really just going to be feeling loved for who I am? Like being loved for um, who I am uniquely made to be. And I think that is something as a parent, you know, I just see that in my own, you know, children like, oh, you know, pushing and pushing and wanting them to do this. But do they see the relationship here? Do they see that relationship? And I see, you know, um, even in the gospel so clearly, like Jesus comes and brings this relationship portion to it that just totally changes our world. And I just think with my children, how I want them to see that relationship portion, not just throwing rules down at them, but um, God wants us to have a relationship with them. And that is just like this beautiful platform for us to be able to share the gospel. And even the second part of this verse, um, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love that the end of it is all about of the Lord. Like it's through his power. It's through the Holy Spirit. It's through his guidance and teaching. It's not anything I could do because a lot of times it's about what I want their behavior to look like or what I want them to achieve but it's really about through what he wants through me and in their lives. And um, it takes a lot of intentionality. It takes me having a really intentional relationship with my father, Heavenly Father, to be able to have that correct relationship with um, my children as well. Um, but as we um, keep going here, I want to just talk about kind of a little bit that intentionality um, that we face um, with our connecting as a family. So I wanted, um, Megan, if you could just share a little bit about the challenges that you have with being intentional with that. Well, one of our main challenges um, is with our daughter, Gracie, and many of you already know this, but she has a syndrome called um, Prader-Willi syndrome. 
and that is a deletion on her 15th chromosome and um, we were not aware of this until she was born and so um, the a couple characteristics of that is that um, she is constantly hungry her brain doesn't tell her she's full and um, her metabolism is half of what a, a normal person's is so not only is she constantly wanting to eat but we have to constantly watch what she eats and the amounts that she eats um, her body is not able to process food that way ours is so it is a, a life-threatening um, issue there her behaviors are different um, her behaviors you know are oftentimes um, not always appropriate and um, her IQ level is lower than a typical child her age as well as um, she likes things that are routine she is very much a routine things have to be in a certain order she puts things in her mind in a certain order and if it doesn't go that way then there's meltdowns and there's um, there's issues so for example our morning routine that we do every single morning the exact same way every day um, one day can be so smooth and then the very next day everything is still the same but there's a total meltdown for some reason for something like her rain jackets wrinkled that's an issue and um, or you know when we're when we're going to school when we're getting out of school um, getting out of the drop-off you know um, everything's going okay and then the next day the drop-off's horrible, and she's crying and mounting down right there at the drop-off. Or if it's raining outside, some days she loves to get rained on, and then some days she cannot handle one drop of rain to fall on her. And so there's constant meltdowns and constant issues there. And along with that challenge um, is that she has a brother, Gavin, who's a year older, and so this drastically affects his life as well. Um, you know, he is constantly having to... Um, see the adjustments that we have to make in our home um, dealing with food and dealing with her behaviors and um, also the issue of for example with the drop-off if she's crying at the drop-off and he's standing there with her um, he's getting ready to go to his class and he's worried what's wrong with Gracie is she gonna be okay for the day you know is she gonna be upset all day long and then he goes to school to start his day and so that's tough on on any child um, and along with that, we have to make sure that we put intentional time into him because she really does get a lot of attention, whether it be good or bad for positive or negative things. There's so much attention that's put on her with her syndrome. And so we have to be um, intentional of giving Gavin the adequate attention that he needs, the focus he needs. Oftentimes we will, um, like Ben will take Gavin to do something just the two of them, maybe go fishing or go to the movies. Um, you know, he stays up a little later some nights, and so he'll get to get a snack after she's gone to bed because, you know, we don't have snacks um, during the day. And so that's some of the things that we deal with um, as a challenge when we um, try to connect as a family. Matt, what about you guys? Well, I, I'd say that um, talking about some of the things that we struggled with in the past, um, work has really been a challenge to connect intentionally. Um, I think charity has really bared a lot of the weight of um, just how much work has impacted me personally and how has it impacted the family. And you know, one of the reasons why we left uh, to move to Oregon, Char Charity and Crystal's parents were there and, and their other siblings, my parents and my siblings were there. Our church family, we were all connected, um, but I was leaving on a plane Monday morning, coming on a plane home Thursday night, and um, it got to a place with our oldest, Madison, who uh, told me very straight up, said, Dad, I really don't care if you're here or if you're gone. And I, I just couldn't believe my ears. I, how could my precious little girl um, 
feel that way about me. And it, and if we made the, and so we, we talked a lot internally, it just kind of broke my heart. Like we need to make a change um, in how we're doing things. And, and I had just continued at work. I'm getting promoted. I'm getting more opportunities. I'm making more money. Like these are good things. Like I'm, but this whole idea of a work-life balance, which is kind of a facade, is it was was just totally warping my mentality. And every person that I interacted with, nobody I knew had a good work-life balance. Everybody was hammered down at work. And so when we moved to Oregon, um, we were very intentional about dinner times. Um, like we said, uh, getting up in the morning, um, and we changed a lot of habits. So I intentionally drove the kids to school every morning. I dropped them off. I walked them to their classroom. I hugged their, I you know, hold their, held their hand, gave them kisses, even to you know, very not that long ago. I just continued to be able to do this with our older girls. They're not in here right now, so I can say that. Um, and so uh, uh, it was, it was, it was amazing to see that transition. And as work continued to get more and more intense and more and more responsibility and becoming an executive of the organization, by the time that we got to dinner time and I'd get home and Charity would wait until I got home. So sometimes it was 6.30, 7, 8 o'clock, but we would have dinner time as a family. This was what we were doing. I was so mentally checked out. I had nothing to give. I had no capacity. I was just, I was just sitting there going through the motions. And our dinner time takes an hour, sometimes an hour and a half, for us to go through and hear about all the kids' days because we've just developed this culture where they want to share about all their highs and their lows. And I'm like, can you just be quiet? I just, I want to go somewhere else. And it really was difficult um, because this thing right here, which is a great thing for a lot of, a lot of different ways, from a workplace, I started, you know, with technology at 24, I got my first smartphone that I can get my emails on. And uh, the first PDA, if you guys remember that, it's not public displays of affection, it's personal digital assistant. And um, it really just e evolved into this, this habit that my phone, I showed worth and um, performance to my organization that if I had answered my emails first thing in the morning, at, late at night, like I was a good worker. I was, I was dedicated to the organization. And so you develop this habit of a screen in front of you all the time that, hey, my kids don't know if I'm answering an email that is very important and mission critical for my organization or if I'm playing a game but all they know is there's something, there's a disconnect between my kids and me, and they see this is what it is. And so it really um, burdened my heart about all these different things that were going on in our life that were impacting the relationship. I had no capacity to give charity, I had no capacity to give my kids, because work was just all consuming. And the screen and not having healthy boundaries with that really set, for me, just um, un unhealthy balance of, okay, what do I need to do to check out? Oh, I'm going to scroll social media. What am I going to do? Oh, I need to get back to that email. So as soon as I'm done with dinner, I'm going to go grab my phone so I can respond to these emails or text messages that I missed because I was spending time with at the dinner table. And so it really created just some very unhealthy boundaries. And, you know, we're seeing this in just every generation that kids get a, access to a cell phone at such an early age and it's rewiring your brain. And literally, my, I will be checking my phone, I'll just do this and see if I have a new email. I, ha, do I have a new text message? Is there something going on um, at work that I'm missing? And has created this habit for me that has rewired my brain to think 
What, is, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then what we have created for our children is the same thing. And so for us, we've taken a really step back. We've had some really great education. Our school district in Oregon, um, the Parent Teachers Association, they actually hired this TEDx speaker to come talk to the middle school students, the high school students about the dangers of smart uh, phones, technology, the impact that it's doing to your brain and rewiring it. But also, they talked to the parents. And he wouldn't talk to the kids without talking to the parents. And to save the kids, we have to save the parents. And it really helped cement the ideas, not only of the dangers of social media and what it does to our kids, and the predatory nature of the things that are out there and the dangers, but what are we doing from a habit perspective that it's hard for us to connect because we are thinking while we are, we are not being present in that current time, current conversation. And that has really helped challenge our, our thought process, how we interact, and how do we be present. Back to that work-life balance being a facade, it's being present wherever you are. So that has, you know, th those are the, some of the struggles that have gone on from a work perspective, from a technology perspective, that these things are currently always trying to interrupt you and you have to be super intentional and have capacity to be able to be present at all times. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're going to have to skip a couple questions here because I want to get to the last few moments here. But, you know, we talk about this in the terms of parents, and I know we don't have time to talk about this, but it, it affects our, our, our life with our spouse as well. And it needs to be said that probably one of the greatest ways you can love your kids is by loving your spouse, right? Yeah. And, and so this whole connecting piece, we've got to make sure we're about that as well. Um, I, I want to move through a few things here uh, real quick just because I want to give us a little time here at the end. But what are some ways that you intentionally connect with your kids? So, Megan, you talked about this a second ago, um, how, you know, well, a lot of times we take a rule and a rule creates a void. How do we fill those voids? You know, how do we fill up the void of the rule that we just put in place? Um, and we just have a few, a few minutes for this or really even a, just a little bit of time for this. But, Megan, talk a little bit about that. I think one thing that we do is, um, you know, a couple different activities. We go hiking, we go camping, we just started fishing with the kids, we play games. Um, one thing that we started a couple years ago very quickly is um, asking the grandparents to give experiences for our kids for Christmas as opposed to gifts. And briefly, that is just, um, we find things that we want to do, maybe go to Grandfather Mountain that year or go to Chimney Rock that year. And um, we ask the grandparents to give the money for the kids for those tickets and um, therefore we plan out our year based on some of those experiences that we ask for and Ben's mom is the one who typically um, she's the one who gives those experiences and it allows us the opportunity to um, to do activities that are not very expensive I mean most of the things that we choose to do with our family are very inexpensive activities but it does allow us to spend a lot of quality time with the kids and so um, that's some of the things that we do. Yeah. Charity, what about your family? What do you guys do to intentionally connect, fill that void? We've, got, we've touched on it a little bit. I'd say just to highlight, um, you know, the dinner table, especially since our kids are young, they are growing. But um, that dinner table time talk, if you will, um, something that we started early when they were little was the question came. And they loved it, especially if Matt had coworkers or somebody that was in town that was going to spend the evening with us for dinner. Um, they would just randomly ask them, like, pick a number, 1 to 10. And they would choose any number. They didn't know what was coming next. And then we, as a family, the kids primarily got to ask them, say, seven questions. And they would be anything. Like, if you had a door that would lead you anywhere in the world, like, 
where would you go? Um, like just these funny questions. And then we found on Amazon these little cards called A Family Moments. There's a whole like series of them for different things. And so ours has kind of evolved to, it just sits on our table next to salt and pepper. It's not anything fancy, but everybody gets a card at dinner. Sometimes we forget. It doesn't happen every time, but everybody gets a card to read and then they can answer it or they get a card that they get to ask everybody that same question. We all have to answer the same question. And they've, They've, they've brought about some really interesting conversations that we could not have, like, created. Um, and then now I think our general thing is that we just ask um, a sparkle and a farkle, like, or a high and low, a peaks and pits. We've heard it from other different people for different words is, what was a highlight of your day? Your sparkle. And what was a farkle? What was something that was not so great? Um, we have one kid that's a sparkle only, and we have to kind of dig out a little bit, like, well, was there something that bothered you? And that's been good. And then we have some that it helps them to learn that they might need to bring this around and, and bring it home because sometimes they're taking all the conversation. So that's been just a super simple, it is not anything that costs hardly any money at all either, but a way that we just daily intentionally, and sometimes like this week, it turned into tears and we had a, a daughter shut down. And just that this told us like bedtime for this daughter is gonna be long tonight. We need to address the situation. There's a, a friendship issue. And so it was, again, this, these are not fancy. They're not anything like earth shattering, but they're just daily, simple, intentional ways that have really helped us. And you know, we can talk about this for a long time and we just don't have a, a lot of time here, but I, I want us to think about this last thought. Uh, and maybe you're a grandparent in the room, maybe you're a parent, but the truth is, uh, if you're a parent and you have children in your home, the clock is ticking, right? The clock is ticking. Uh, some of you have wondered, wow, you guys have a pretty crazy uh, centerpiece here today, but there, there's kind of a point to this, that uh, for a lot of families, this represents uh, in marbles how many weeks you have with your child from the day they're born to the day they leave your home. And obviously that changes for different families, but this is kind of an estimate and I mean, think about that. Just this little marble represents a week. And for a lot of us, this little marble is, is a small amount of time, right? Because we still have work. We still go to, or they still go to school. We still have work. It's just a few hours a day, right, that we have with our kids. For some of us, it might be a bigger marble. Maybe it's a family vacation where you're spending every waking moment together. But the truth is, this is kind of what it condenses down to. From birth to the time they leave your house, this is what you got. And every week, one of these is coming out. For those of you that have a teenager in the home, we're about to have a teenager in our home in about a month and a half, right? This is, this is it. This is all you get. This is all you have left right here. Senior year. That's it. The question is, how do we focus on the end? How do we get to the end knowing that the ending is coming? Matt and Charity, how do we focus on the end? It's, uh, it's a really good question, and I don't know if I have all the best answers, um, but I can definitely talk about um, uh, just a few things. I think um, you, there are stages of their life that we have the opportunity to speak in and really set uh, the right foundation. I think by the time that they are 15, their worldview, you know, uh, has been set. I, like, you know, really, if you were to look about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was about 15. Now it's about 12. And so we really have these areas that we are need to focus. And if you look at this, um, sc the screen to your left or right, 
you really have these four stages of parenting. And, and these right here, Andy Stanley developed these, these functional areas, and these have been presented a couple different ways. Um, but if you look at through the ages and the, what you're trying to provide, in, in those beginning years, you were about consistency. You were setting boundaries, authoritative position, who's in charge, transition to the training years. You're helping shaping their, uh, um, their worldview. And by the time that they turn 12, you're really turning in and practicing that, living that on a daily basis. And that's, if you think about the best coaches in your life, they weren't easy on you. They made you do what you didn't want to do, but they are doing it for the betterment of who you are. And I think that mentality from a coach perspective has really helped transition my mind and how I you know, work with my girls, work with my son, is am I, am I challenging them? Am I pushing them to a place of health, of a place of relationship, of interacting in their, you know, it, yes, it's hard to do your devotions every day. It's hard to stay in the word every day. It's hard to navigate and have conversations with your friends. Yes, those things are difficult, but it's important. And coaching them through that and saying, hey, I struggle with this every day. I struggle with all the same things you do. I'm not immune to it. So I, the transparency and authenticity of that through that is super important. And if we've done all these other stages right, we will really be able to have a, a friendship with our kids once they leave the mm -hmm. home. And that is uh, something that we can all hopefully cherish and look forward to if we've done all these other things. But if, if we are they haven't put the controls in front first, it'll be hard to have more control later. Yeah. Ben, real quick, how do we focus on the end? Going along with what uh, Matt was saying, it's if you're, you're on this journey and there is an end, uh, there is an end to it. And if you were not intentional about setting up what we've talked about towards the, on the second half was relationships. If that relationship piece is not in place, there is an end. They are going to leave the house. Are you going to have that relationship in place to where you can still speak into their lives, where you can still give advice, where, you, where you're there for that, or are they going to become something else where you, you no longer have that ability to speak into it? Like I said, the end must be in mind. You have to visualize that there is an end and they will leave your house one day. Well, we want to finish up with this uh, Bible verse. It's in Psalms 90 verse 12. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And I just love that whole example here. We're just seeing that, um, that our days are numbered, that our days with our children are numbered. And we want that wisdom that first and foremost comes from, from God that we can just give to our kids. So we want to just finish up by saying thank you to the Fullers and the Johnsons for, um, for joining us up here and for sharing. And um, thank you guys for being here. And also wanted to um, highlight that there are some resources if you're looking for anything. I think it's in your handout. And also um, you can find them on the website if you're looking for them there. Um, and then um, I just want to close this in prayer. God, we just thank you so much that you are our Father. God, we thank you for the way that we see this relationship um, first and foremost from you and the way you pursue us and love us and the way you discipline us and the way you bless us, God. Just um, We just thank you for the example you give us. And I thank you so much that as um, we parent our kids, God, that you're parenting us through the process. You're giving us grace um, where we need it, God, and you're um, just helping us um, along the way. And I just thank you for who you are, and I thank you that you're with us, that you are the giver of wisdom, and when we ask it, God, you do give that to us, and I ask that we would just um, leave from here, and um, just whatever wisdom that we need for this season in our life, for the season to come, we just ask that you would just help that to stay um, embedded in our hearts and in our minds, and we ask this in your name, amen.